Here's a question. How does an ordinary person land their dream job in the sports industry immediately after graduating? Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ruben Williams. And I'm Ryan Walker. In 2017, we said goodbye to exams and hello to full-time work. This is a behind-the-scenes reveal of exactly how the best sports industry professionals in the world created careers that most only dream of. We believe every dream job in sport is worth chasing, and that's why we want to give you the tools to make it a reality. For a proven process to getting jobs in sport, download our free ebook. How to Get Jobs in Sport, The Sports Grad Method. You can get this for free at www.sportsgrad.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me, as always, is the dependable Reuben Williams. How are you today, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm very well. Thank you, my friend. It's great to see you. I believe life has changed for you. You're now a father. Can you tell us a bit what life is like now that you now that you've got a young one? Yes, Rubes, I, I am a father, a proud father of a young, thirteen week labradoodle named Jarvi. Uh, life is very different. I, I feel a sense of responsibility which I haven't experienced before, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, things like you know, you can't just get out of bed and jump in the shower. You've got to take little fella outside to do his business. Uh, so it's things like that. You got to plan your life a lot, a lot more than I was already. So uh, no, but life is good. Life is good. He's sleeping the nights and he's doing his thing. So I'm a proud father at the moment. Great to hear. And I believe it had an Instagram account before I was even born, which is absolutely outrageous. The uh, the time to. Uh, the time that that was uh, introduced to the world. But um, anyway, we can talk about your your dogs of Instagram uh, another time. But m- let's move on to uh, our guest today, Donnie Singe, who is the head of high performance at the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles up in Sydney, who, uh, who spent 18 years at the Manly Sea Eagles. He's won two NRL premierships while he's been there, and he spent another nine years in between his commitments with the Sea Eagles uh, with the New Zealand national team. And there, this is an, an awesome chat, and there's plenty to digest in here. But one of the really fascinating, fascinating things that I took out of this was um, what life was like inside the New Zealand rugby team. You know, their culture is so highly talked about, and so just to hear about his experience of nine years inside that team was absolutely fascinating to kind of hear uh, what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. With that, you know, getting that insight into New Zealand was the the Haka uh, chat, which everyone will get to listen to soon. But um, another thing that I loved was the, you know, his chat around how to insert yourself into a process that really makes clubs and organisations makes it really hard for them to get like remove you and and they, that make them want to keep you. So if you really insert yourself into what you're doing and and you know, be creative and, and and tell them how you can help them and, and, and do the thing do the right things by the club during that opportunity, then you're gonna make it really hard for them to to let you go. So um that was really awesome to hear his insights there. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a very straight shooter, Donnie, which which we love. And I loved how he talked about how the industry it is a boys' club and it's a girls' club, but it, it is a good club and it's just filled of people who have got historical evidence and proof that they can do the job within people and know other people who can do the job. So that's how the jobs go around. So, yes, while it's a bit of a club, but as he said, you know, 
you're always welcome to join. Yeah, absolutely. And it's around just that premise of if you do the work and do the background experience and know what you want, then there's no reason why you, you aren't welcome to join that club. So, I will also say, Rubes, I reckon this is one of the episodes where we laugh probably the most we ever have. So, um, that's probably something to look forward to if, if you're listening in. So, enjoy this chat with Donny Singe. Donny, welcome to the Source Code Podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So I've um, I've followed you along a bit. I've uh, I know a bit about you guys. So uh, so I'm hoping to do a good job here, and you'll give me a job. <laughs> well, hopefully, it'd be a pleasure to have you on the sports grad team. So <laughs> we'll find something for you, no doubt. <laughs> um, Donny, we, we've been following you a lot too, and um, I think it was way back in May or June 2020, around probably peak coronavirus for Australia. Uh, that we bumped into each other and, and at the time uh, I posted a video on LinkedIn which attempted to answer the question around, you know, how can you gain experience when there's seemingly no opportunities at the moment? And the video explained, you know, how you can create opportunities for yourself through grassroots sport to which you popped up and commented, excellent, Ruben, you could have told my entry story there too. Anyway, now that we've got you, can you talk us through what was your entry into sport? Yeah, look, just and, and going back to that, Ruben, um, it, it really was that I still send people to that link. I kept that link. So when every now and then when I get a question, that question, Donnie, how did you get where you are and what are you doing? You know, um, I have written a book about that, but, you know, I'm not here to plug that, but it's on. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know, we can definitely plug that. Yeah, yeah no, but, but I send them there. <laughs> I send them there, and and um and say to them, listen and learn, because that pretty much describes my story. And I um, I got I I started out in this industry through just um as an exercise instructor, but personality, um, being reliable, um, searching uh for 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 organizations that needed help and then offering my services um and not 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 half closing the door by asking for something offering my services putting together good strong programs presenting myself energetically and 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 with a good good um a good dose of motivation and and what I was able to do was go into organizations and sporting clubs Work for them and and earn my my place and actually make myself attractive to them so that when it came time for me to make decisions on whether I could stay there or not or move they they literally said you need to stay with us and then just through natural organic process where I would say well you know I work in a gym and I've got to teach here and here and here and that's on the Tuesday evening and that's on the Thursday evening and those are the times that you want me. And then they would say, how much do you make in that time or what would it take for you to be happy to move away from that position? And then I would say, well, this is what I earned there. Um, are you able to make? And it was really those types of very easy, simple conversations. However, um, the main thing was it was how I presented myself and what I was willing to do with the knowledge that I had and, and not holding people to the responsibility of having to, because some of them couldn't at the time, um, pay me for that. Now, now we have to be very careful when I, when I say that because I'm not saying 
go out and work for nothing. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is go out, identify where it is you want to go, and then make yourself attractive to them and then allow them to give you an opportunity and then the rest will grow from there. And that's how I started. I, I, I was um, I was offered uh, um, to work with um, the manly under twenties, the Colts at the time. Way back then, I'm I'm, I'm a lot older now, and I'm a, a lot uh, a lot calmer. But I, I was an absolute mad bastard then. I was mad, and and why they took me was because I just had so much energy. And I can remember Johnny Hinton was the was um was one of their their biggest uh, sponsors. He had a lot of pull. And I remember him walking into me and just saying, "You're the guy." we'd love you to come down and work with our young guys. And these squads are like, you know, 30, 30, 40, 40 young men. But, but we really believe that you could, you could go in there and make a difference. So I did. I go down there every Tuesday, Thursday, I would beat the shit out of them. I went down there, just worked them over, gave them my drills, um, you know, pushing, pushing, communicated well with them. Um, they hated me, but they loved me. We started winning. Um, we, you know, we got good results. And then from there, that club, they elevated me to first grade, and then I um, I was fortunate enough to be um, retained by by the coach, incoming coach um, uh, Tim Lane. We won a premiership that set me up for Japanese rugby. Things just started rolling and growing, you know. And then the um, and then the the salaries and the contracts. And while I was while I was working there, um, other interested parties from other sports and other organisations, Australia Tennis. Um, um, uh, Australian ice hockey, off ice training. A lot of other sports groups started approaching me, and it wasn't through a resume; it was from word of mouth, from contacts I'd made, and these volunteer organisations um, were able to put me into, into into paid positions. But I had to be consistent; I had to be that same person all the time. So everywhere I went, I just dished out of hiding. You know, <laughs> now nah, it worked. It worked at the time. Sound like you're. A nightmare for these players. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want Donny down at Uni Blues training. Um, thank God. Oh. Um, but no, that's, it's interesting. Like you know, the point you made around sort of saying why you should be there and why you need why you need me and my skills, which is an interesting mindset. Um, you know, to have. Um, you know, especially when we talk about job interviews and all that. Rubes is kind of like, well, it's more getting on the front foot instead of almost asking for for a job, if you know what I mean. Mm. Donnie, one of the things that you said was you look to make yourself attractive when you're in the organisation. And one of, one of the fundamental things that I believe is that no one really cares what you can do. Everyone really kind of cares what you can do for them. So your attractiveness was probably coming from something that was solving a problem for them. Do you know what sort of problems you could have been solving as an early uh, strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, look, I, I think one of the biggest um, advantages I had was I, I had a real knack of um, of getting buy-in from my athletes and from my groups. So I could go down to that park. You know, you'd have 40 or 50, 50 guys running around, and I could get them on the field in rows, lines, columns, and have them doing what was needed to be done. And, I, and I've always uh, and maintained the skill of – being able to um, identify with each individual at some stage so that they don't just feel like they're a number in there. And what happens is while you're doing that, um, all the logistics around the outside of that with skills acquisition, 
um, groupings, um, even even down to what the managers and trainers need to get across. It all starts to gel because there's there's this sense of control of um, process um, and of a flow. And if you're going to be in a position of um, where you're in a, a commanding position for athletes uh, of any kind, that's what you need to have. You need to have great man management skills. And um, and I believe that that was probably besides the fact that I had a lot of energy and obviously I did know my, my exercise um, prescription and, and physiology and mechanics. I knew that all very well. That, that That's just my bread and butter. That goes about saying applying it was the money ball. And I was able to go down there, take charge of people. Coach didn't have to worry about a thing, stand to the side. I get what is needed there. I'm able to um, transition that into what um, the coach needs, where they need it. And the men come away um, hating me, but being grateful that they have just ticked the boxes, which will allow them to be one step closer to playing first grade, second grade, whichever grade it is they are. And when they walk away, you know, it's always been my motto. It even is here at the Sea Eagles. The worst thing that's going to happen to you, the worst thing that's going to happen to you today, mate, is you're going to be fitter and stronger and have a better mindset than when you arrived. That's the worst. I like it. Yeah, you can. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't like those abs, give them back. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great way to put it. You're right. It's not hard. You're just getting better. Get over it. Georgie Rose had great abs. Georgie Rose had great abs, but he gave them back. <laughs> um, so, Donnie, since since you obviously made your breakthrough into sport um, and, and sports science more specifically, what have been some of the highlights of your twenty five years? Oh wow! You know, um, you can't you can't go. But one of the toughest things to to do in the um, in anywhere is is win a comp especially when it's a comp that goes for a whole year. Um, there's plenty of great trainers and, and heads of performance, and I know them personally, who have done you know, much better than myself. And the one thing that I've always um, – that comes to mind is, yes, winning a grand final, winning two, getting to a, to a grand final. We went to four. And, and staying, staying at the peak of the competition, staying in the top four. And, and the thing is, the, what I, the, the real highlights for me about that is probably um, career-wise is between 2008 and 2011, which is a long time ago. But when you look back at that period of time, you know, um, knowing where you're going and how you're going to perform and being able to go back and see that progression because it's measured and then see what the, the, the trends and the similarities and the, and you know, what you applied actually worked. Um, those are, those are wonderful, wonderful um, times for you to experience and, and recognize the, the real professional nature of what you do. So those two premierships in terms of a professional career milestone, um, they definitely are the, 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 the peak of, of my, um, of my career. And those I'm are the two premierships with the with the Manly Sea Eagles. Well, with the Manly Sea Eagles, yeah. And and look, we've had some obviously dry years, and and um and you know since then, you know we we need to 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 come back to a to a position where we can um, compete again with these with the big boys, yeah, and the big teams. But in a strange way, the last couple of years, um, 
with a turnover of staff and and a turnover of attitudes and an evolution of physiology and training and the injection of of new ideas you know it's 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 a really um it, it's a really good time for me now um to be back in the game and um and and working hard to 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 get back to that to that point of um competitive competitive um um performance Donnie, during your time, how have you seen sports science change over the years? So for me, just personally, um, the greatest change, which which I believe has made the biggest difference um, to me as a as a as a head of performance, um, is the accuracy and the speed of our data collection and measurement. So. If you can remember way back in the, you know, when I was first starting, you know, we, we, we got these polar units, you know, and, and, you know, you put the polar unit on and then, you know, 12 hours later after the download, which took, you know, half a day, um, you could see what you had done and there it was and that's the heart rate. And then you could look at heart rate variabilities and you could, you suddenly had all this, this stuff, you know, telling you what was happening on the inside of the body. And then four years later or at least two, two or three years later, they, they gave us this GPS unit that looked like a, a you know, a freaking transistor radio, you know, it covered half your back. It was like the ones in World War Two you know, the big aerial. But, you know, we, we, we got that. GPS gave us that and, and we strapped that onto guys and suddenly we knew exactly how far they were going, how what their heart rate was, um, you know, how big the collisions were and we were getting all this, this data. But it was very raw and it was very um, time-consuming. And um, so we had lots and lots of... Uh, um, measurement modalities, but they were really uh, antiquated in times of getting that data down. So as we went through time, that process is right down to now where you go out on the field, they put that on, it's live, everything's there, it's accurate, um, you get all your data feeding through while they're training in front of you. So in the past, you know, you get the polar unit, put it on, then you go back to the athlete and you say, hey, you know, we missed it yesterday. You know, we should have got to here, but you were here. Now it's live. So you're standing next to him. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. There we are. Now stay there. Because you've got it on a big screen. But not only that, the guy next to him is competing against him. You know, so he's looking at that screen and thinking, nah, nah. And so, you you, you know, in that type of, um, that, that literally cuts off weeks and weeks of, of guessing where you are. Because now you can adjust the frequency and the intensity and the volume of your training in the moment, and that's um, you know that that's been a considerable um, advantage and uh, and change. And for me, that's the biggest significant change in in the sports science. On a uh, on a much more amateur scale. Ryan and I are big fans of uh, of Strava, and so we've actually got the same matching Garmin Garmin watch as you can see here. <laughs> and uh, in in, and a, in speedos, a similar, they do speedos too. Listeners yeah. currently <laughs> listening, we just showed our watches on the screen <laughs> to Donnie, and they're matching. They're so, if you're listening, they're pink. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that either. I might have very quickly, but they are pink. <laughs> in, in a similar vein where you can get instant feedback, one of the things that I've been using for my running is knowing, all right, if my peak heart rate is around, you know, 185 where I know I'm blowing but I can know I can hold it, when I go out for a run now, it's kind of like, all right, 
I just look down at my watch. Am I at that point yet? Yes or no? Okay, push harder. And so it's been able to give me just as like a novice amateur athlete a way to kind of set a yardstick to, to push myself to rather than thinking, oh, I'm tired, I better slow down. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and probably just as importantly, yeah, you know, what, what do you do with data? What are you doing with it? Are you collecting it? Are you plotting it? Are you, what, what is it you're looking for? Do you want to, you know, be able to run for, you know, 6Ks with a 186, um, you know, beats per minute, you know, holding it up there? What does that mean? What's happening to you? So um, I, 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 I commend the way that the, um, the amateur athlete or the, enthusiast, the exercise enthusiast uses measurement devices now because it's good for their health too. But more importantly to me, it shows them when is enough enough because sometimes that's the biggest danger. It's not that you're not exercising hard enough. A lot of people out there, are just they're just exercising too much. And then that takes us into a, to a whole different realm of, of, of hormones and, and, and um, you know, toxins and what's happening in your blood at a cellular level and all sorts of things. So, so knowing your, your um, generic heart rates, your thresholds, um, how long you should hold them over distance, your time, uh, and, and your RPEs, you know, generally how you're feeling. I still believe that they are the best ways of, um, of keeping a, a good, strong balance with your, with your physical training um, and, and, your, and your actual work-life balance. One point you, you said just then was they, they give you a good indication of, of how much is enough, enough's enough. <laughs> and I think it's probably, um, well, maybe for me and a, a lot of listeners out there, I'm sure it probably shows when you haven't actually done enough. So <laughs> one of the great benchmarks for me is the five-minute KO. So I yep. have gone for a run in about nine days now, Donnie. So yes. when I do mine tonight, that'll be the benchmark. So I'll know, well, yeah, you and, haven't and, done anything. <laughs> that's right. And, and look, you know, you, you, you look like you run a you run a, a – an intelligent podcast and you look like two intelligent people. So I don't know if I have to explain to you too much about the, the spiking in volumes and intensities and how if you introduce a stimulus, uh, which is um, too, too great for the amount of uh, physical activity you have been doing in the last nine days, then that stimulus uh, may manifest itself as the pulled yeah. hamstring, the straight yeah. calf, and uh, you know, at the very, very worst, the clutching of the chest, which we don't <laughs> want that one now, do we? So, so my, my, you know, and and more importantly, would you like to just go out and benchmark that run tonight, and then have the next three weeks off, or would you like <laughs> to go out and run tonight, and possibly go for another one tomorrow night, and possibly go for one the night after? So yeah. that that's what you're really doing. You're thinking, um, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, don't 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 let that spike. Don't let that stimulus jump too high, and that way you'll be able to put yourself into a, a training regime where you yes. can actually build up uh, over a period of time. And um, <laughs> yeah, well, the and you'll enjoy the hamstring for that five k. Yeah, the hamstring's usually the the one to look at for me. Um, usually one per season, which is good. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll move on. Um, so speaking Don't talk of to your... about hamstrings. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're not all about them. Um, so, speaking about your role now, what does what your current role involve as head of performance at the Manly Sea Eagles? 
Yeah, so look, so currently I, I do. I oversee the sports science and the uh, and the medical units that we have, which um, which prepare our our men for um, for competition. So within my unit, you know, I, I have uh, I, I'm I'm very lucky. In the early days, there was me and Des, a physio, and uh, and a couple of um, uh, and a couple of uh, um, assistant coaches. So you were just working all the time on things. And then as we evolved and progressed through the seasons and years, um, we started taking on, you know, another physio to deal with it, um, a rehab trainer, um, a speed coach. Sorry, we always had a speed coach. And um, and then we had, um, you know, uh, uh, then we brought in a sports scientist, then we brought a, a rehab specialist. So right now in my unit, you know, I do have the luxury of having a speed coach uh, uh, and athletic coach designated to not only working with the mechanics and the speed of the men, but also the, the, um, the appropriate um, explosive and, and neural exercise and drills that they do um, as athletes. So he's more of an athletics specialist. Um, I have a strength coach. I have a, a rehab and con specialist who we've been developing over the last couple of years. And, and, um, and then I also have a, a head of sports sciences. Um, and, you know, with that particular type of unit, I'm able to provide, you know, uh, you know, the right amounts of 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 training intensities, volumes, um, methods, research to deliver Des, um, you know, what what whatever it is that he needs in that athlete that athlete that that athlete has to produce on on game day, and then right next to me I have a have a unit which is the medical unit. So that's the physiotherapist. Uh, we have massage therapists in there. We have a, you know, a doctor, a CMO who oversees that. And um, between us all, um, and we fight a lot, um, however, we stay within our, within our expertise. Um, everything is presented with a, um, with a rationale. Um, everything is uh, validated with um, you know, either experiential, historical, or um, empirical evidence; it has to be that way. Um, and then, uh, and then you have experience over the top, and and I and I get to make some of those calls. And geez, I hope I get them right. But um, but that's uh, yeah, that's that's what I do. Is I, I literally integrate and um, integrate and and almost like a conduit between each unit and bring that together. I also have my my own input. But obviously, my whole background is around delivering programs and actually. Um, being feet on the deck all the time I am still feet on deck but I do see as I get further into my role as a head of performance um, I, I do have to uh, begrudgingly relinquish some of the yelling and the uh, whistle blowing the ass kicking and the finger pointing I have to give a little bit of that up and um, and and the, and the and the men and women around me who are working within my unit and they very happily take that on they're very good at it too so uh um, but that's that's what I do now. Is the best way to describe me would be um, as a conduit to ensure that the right the right uh, information is going through, so that the methods of training and the correct methods and the most effective methods are delivered. Sounds like you'll have to find another way to to ruffle feathers as this <laughs> overarching manager now. Are there I, I um... ruffle coaches? I ruffle their feathers. <laughs> 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 um donnie are there are there any aspects of your role that may surprise students well, look i think there are because um you know quite often wherever you come from you, what we learn at university what we learn uh, asca is uh, wherever we're doing our courses fitness australia we always learn about um about the exercise the process and applying that process 
What we don't learn about is how to deliver that process effectively, how to recognize uh, nuances, how to communicate, how to um, you know have um, um, four or five different aspects of 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 one opinion and meld them together. We don't learn how to listen. We don't learn how to um, respond. These are things that you will learn through experience. You know, um, you know when to shout. You know when to stomp. You know when to whisper. You know when to hug. And and you know, um, great great parenting around that. You know, pick when to pick your fights. You know, I, I can remember being told off so many times when I had my two young sons because you know we'd be in there arguing and fighting about something, and 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 I and my wife would say to me. Well, you got to pick your fights better, you know. And I, yeah, and I come back. Well, he started it. Yeah, well, he's two. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, he knows what he's doing. No, no, he doesn't really. No, he does. Uh, you above all people know that cognitively he's not developed enough to know and reason with you. So no, you're wrong again. So you know, I had to go through all that. But these are the things that you'll learn as uh, when you're on the job, when you've got your feet on the ground, when you're part of a dynamic um, coaching crew where where you just you go into work and you've got this job to deliver and you've got these these uh, athletes to to motivate and you've got them to train and you're watching their technique and you're watching their mood and you're watching you know how they respond and then you, you know there's there's so many things happening around you so when you answer one of these um these uh um ads for somebody to come in and work you know in inside a sporting organization um, a lot of people on the outside, they think, yeah, Donnie Sins, what a great job. You go in there, you write your weights program, you write your cardio program, you, you write your running program, your conditioning program, you go out there, you deliver that, and then you go home. That ain't, that's not it. Because for every single thing that you do with your athlete, for every single thing that you toss up to your coaching crew, for every little thing that you want delivered by your fellow colleagues coaching you got to have a rationale then then you're going to debrief and look at what you did and then you're going to work out whether that was the right thing to do if you're going for, so it's 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 wonderful work but there's a lot of things that students are going to get a real surprise you know when they come in it's not just about standing on the gym floor counting reps giving out exercises you know slapping butts well done you know <laughs> There's, there's so much more to it. That's the good stuff. As much um, as you love that, though. Yeah, as much as I love that. I luckily for all my athletes, I've got little hands. Look at those. <laughs> they're annoying. They're, they, they don't really offend you, but they're just annoying. But, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, that, that that's, that's what students can look forward to is, is, you know, my advice to you is learn your craft really well. Learn your exercise physiology. Learn your biomechanics. Learn your exercise prescription. Learn everything about delivering um, the mechanics of that of that of that um, exercise program. Because once you do that, that just becomes natural, and you can sit back. And while you're doing that, you can start picking up on all the other little things. And that comes with experience. But that's that's what you've got to look forward to. And and you know I don't say it enough. Yeah, it's a fantastic career. There's plenty of space for everybody. Um, the cream always rises, and the cream will come in the way you manage yourself. And um, but but those are those are the the things I think a student would be really surprised with how involved they are in the day to day running of what's happening all around them. 
Donny, um, New Zealand is considered to have one of the, the best cultures of high performance that seems to span across all sorts of sports. Uh, with the most, with the most famous one, obviously being the the mighty All Blacks, um, you spent nine years as the head of strength and conditioning for the Kiwis, which is the National Rugby League team. Can you tell us what the culture of that team was like, and also what are some of the most important facets that make a winning culture? Yeah, look, um, look for a start with the uh, with that type of position. So over the, that nine year bracket, I was in and out, in and out, and in and out. And I was part of some really successful campaigns, uh, and I was also part of a of of a, of, um, a failed. Um, when I say failed, what I mean is there were elements that we we, we probably could have done better um, of a World Cup. And the thing about about national teams, we yeah, we take these Kiwis for a start. You know, um, we live on this little island. We're always, uh, when we're not annoying each other, yeah, we run out of people to annoy. You can only annoy each other so much and you can only annoy sheep so much. So once we get out and go up against another nation, we are just well, bang on it, you know. We're just going <laughs> to hammer you. So um, I, I think the physicality of, of Kiwis has always been um, has always been there. They, they, they love sport. We are the great outdoors type thing. Um, we can handle anything because it's always bloody raining. So, so we don't mind, you know, what you call adverse conditions is a sunny day to us, you know. <laughs> We're not scared of anything on the beach because usually polar bears will come out and try and steal your jacket. That's how cold it is, you know. But, but yeah, we, we really do love our sport. And I think, I think the thing with Kiwis is we, we absolutely love representing um, our nation and our culture. And when we come into camp, you know, one of the things about these elite camps, i.e., whether they be origin camps, um, national camps, um, or any representative camp, is that uh, you, you you're getting the cream of the crop. So when I work with the Kiwis, I'm getting all of these uh, top NRL players from teams, and they they're already made men. So the the performance coaches and the trainers and the S and C people, they've already made that athlete. That athlete is that elite standard. When that athlete comes to me, what I do is I, I just fine-tune and build a dynamic so that that athlete can work as a unit. And we only get a few weeks to do this. Um, I think the longest tour I went on was was uh, probably for about six weeks when we were in England. And so you have plenty of time to bring that team together and join and grow. But most of the um, – uh, with the exception of the COVID times, most of the the um, uh, representative sides only come together for like a week before. So the first thing is uh, always recognise where those players come from because the coaching performance teams there and medical teams, they're the people who who actually got them there. So you've got this this prize, this, this gold nugget. And then what you do is you go in, you've got a week to get them together, have them executing together, understanding each other, um, moving at the same speed. So there's a lot of science goes into it. There's a lot of um, uh, teamwork, team building, and that's that's the beauty of working with um, with these elite sides of any, of any sport and um, get them to know each other, get them to play together, get them to play at speed together and, um, and make that an experience for them. Me personally, I love to try and put something in there that they can take away back to their club and that just makes me look great. But there's not much going on there, so. <laughs> do you remember the do you remember the first day that you got welcomed into the New Zealand camp? 
<laughs> you know what? Um, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I'll tell you, in the New Zealand camp, um, what happens is eventually every new member, everybody who comes into the Kiwis has to do a haka, right? And um, and I can remember I joined the Kiwis in 2009 and um, and I was with New Zealand Māori the year before. And, um, and, that, and the year before was when the Kiwis won the World Cup. And we were going to England to do a, um, a Four Nations tour. So what happened was um, Steve Kearney was the coach at the time, and he sent me ahead with um, – oh, I forget who sent me with you. must have been. But we, we had to go ahead, and he, he sent me over to uh, England earlier. So I wasn't with the team when they met in, in um, Auckland. So I went to England earlier and was to set up and look at all the different um, areas in France and that that we would be using. So So I just went a week early. Anyway, so when they got there, you know, I hadn't done my haka. So I was in this, uh, and this was when, uh, you know, oh, I, I was going to have to do the haka on my own. So, you know, I like to think I'm a pretty confident, you know, solid sort of character. But I'll tell you, when you got these, uh, when you got a whole lot of Kiwis in a big circle wrapped around staring at you and they're like, you better just, you, mate, you better be fierce, son. If you're not fierce, you know, you're out of here. So they've got around, you know, Benji's got them in this, this circle. Anyway, there was a, uh, a, a young English guy with me, and he was helping us. Now, he counts because he's there, right? So he had to come in and do this hucker with me. So, and the hucker is also, uh, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, um, I hope no one finds this offensive, but underpants is, underpants is, the, is the uniform of the day. And, uh, yeah, the, and you know what? If anyone has a problem with that, that's cultural. That's cultural. You're lucky because the Maoris, we didn't even have underpants, so I wouldn't worry about it. But we got to, I'm not talking about the Maori. I'm not talking about the Maori team. I'm talking about <laughs> that game. But anyway, so we're in the circle. There we are. And um, and we had to do this haka. And oh, it was exhausting because you're just throwing your arms and slapping your legs and slapping your chest and poking your tongue and rolling your eyes and getting the words and making sure you got the movement. We did this haka. And... I got voted the worst. I got voted the worst ever, and the English guy he got applause and carried around. And I just uh, that's probably uh, that was my that was my official welcome into the uh, into the camp. Well, I, I don't know whether that had anything to do with the way I was training them at the time. Maybe they were upset with me. I like to think so, but uh, I dare say but that yes, may have played a role. But, but but I can remember getting my first jersey because we all got jerseys, Jay, and, and that was a, an exceptionally proud moment for me was to was to be there in the company of um, of, of of the Kiwis um, to, to to be recognised and to get that jersey. That that was another um, very very strong highlight of, of my career being, being being with the Kiwis. Yeah. That's awesome! What a great story. I um. Personally, I, I spent a, a month with the New Zealand women's cricket team during the during the Women's World Cup as a team liaison officer, and they, they were fantastic. They were the most lovely people I've ever worked with in my life. But, um, yeah, thankfully they didn't make me do a hucker in front of the group, so I'll, I'll count myself <laughs> I, lucky I, for that. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the, the ladies, uh, when they rip a hucker, you want to be you want to stand by because they are very fierce and it's a very emotional, uh, emotional um, uh, war cry, that one. <laughs> mm. They they did bring us in for the team song after after one of their wins, which was one of the most intense vocal experiences I've ever been a part of. That was incredible, to be honest. But um, you know they do it well, the New Zealanders. 
Yeah, they do do it well. They, the team song for all of us is "Slice of Heaven," so you should be you should be well versed in that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I would love to um, see you do a haka though. Hey, are you to me or Ruben? No, I think uh, both, actually. I, oh, I met Ruben. Ruben, but I'd also love to see you do it, Donnie, oh, after uh, the performance you that apparently to, you put on. Not next to Donnie. <laughs> I reckon Ruben would get me too because he poke your tongue out, Ruben. I reckon you might get me. <laughs> 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 uh, one day we'll have a YouTube show and this will all make sense. <laughs> we'll <have a> <laughs> <laughs> anyway, br- bringing it back now to to high performance, um, Donnie. It all it all seems to be uh, about consistency of, of habits over a long period of time that that builds success. And I'm interested to know if you personally, if you've got any of those habits um, for your for you. Um, well, I would probably say I, I I would have to because I just don't think you can have longevity without some consistent elements to your personality or to the way you deliver things i think i think you know that goes without saying um one of one of the 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 habits that i do believe that i that that i carry all the way through my work is um is a is a consistent um attitude to my athletes and what i mean by that is every every time i turn up um to work regardless of where I am, they, they will always know where my ceiling is. So I, I don't have a mercurial um, temperament when I work with them. They know what I'm like when I'm upset. They know what I'm like when I'm, you know, when I'm really fired up and angry about something, you know, or not so much angry, but, you know, really getting to the point where I'm trying to drive them. And they also know, you know, when I'm, uh, when, I, when I'm in, in, at my joyful, playful state as such. And I think, what that does is because they know that something unexpected is not going to leap out, um, it, it it helps me build trust. It helps me build a relationship with them. Um, even yeah, any of the listeners would 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 probably agree the, the the people in your life who are the most consistent in their behaviours tend to be the people that um, that you know best. Now, whether that's a positive or negative, um, it, it really um, it, it, it it really sort of sets up how you are, uh, how you interact with them. So, so one of the high performance. Uh, there's two two things that I really do believe. Number one is I, I, I have really good people around me. I've always had very good um, operators in the areas around me. So I don't micromanage. You know, I don't. I don't. I I, I have a um, what I would call a proven expectation. I've I've seen their work. Um, I, I listen to how they communicate. Um, I get the results of their work. If things are, you know, I adjust what I need to adjust. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's what you're here for. Um, I don't, I don't sit over the top and check and check and check and check. Um, not to say I can't see what's happening, but I'm going to give plenty of, of space for you to correct, to, to reassess, to reset and to go again. Um, that would be a habit that I believe is 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 probably something most of the people who work with me would say is 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 pretty consistent. So consistency of behaviour and temperament with your athlete, and also um, you know not not micromanaging um, the, the the very capable and good staff that work with me, and colleagues. From what you've seen over the years, what do you think that the best strength and conditioning students do 
um, to make them stand out? Um, ab- absolutely, coach. They coach. One of the things that we that we sort of move away from when we get um, when we get into work, when we when we when we start to turn up, perhaps every day in the same environment. And, and we're delivering programs. And we know that our programs are periodized and blocked. So sometimes they can become not mundane, mundane but you know what I mean, yeah, you, you know what's expected. Um, and sometimes it's very easy to be in that environment and to miss the coaching. You start to watch. And what I, what I, what I really find with young coaches is the ones that continue – to coach and they learn when when to correct how they correct when not to but they do engage the athlete and they do it in a way which is very natural and it's not interfering and it doesn't make the athlete feel um like they're doing anything wrong it's it's a very uh secure environment um so the young coaches that come in um they can they can be great at programming they can be great at uh uh, interfacing with the technology and the different things around the gym that we're using, but the coaches, the, the the young coaches that actually pay attention to the to the art of coaching, um, whether that be mental or or the physical mechanical aspects of the lift, um, they're, they're they're the coaches that really stick out to me, and I and I can earmark those types of coaches and and and. Um, you know, and start ensuring that they um, remain part of the process and, and grow through to, to advance themselves and give me a rest when I'm in the gym. Do you think um, like those skills that you mentioned there, the coaching side of it, and it's almost like those interpersonal skills as well, being able to connect with people, does that come from really building a, a good base of experience from like grassroots level really early on all the way through them studying and, and wanting to get into the profession, like is that where you sort of get that knowledge? Uh, I, I would believe so. That, that's how it was for me. You, you have to be exposed to the different types of personality situations and and environments um, before you can be expected to exercise any of the skills required for those. You know, if 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 you're uh, if you're brought into them. So, so what you've just said to me there is, is um, you know how I how I started. I started with athletes in, in gyms, you know, working with people, um, encouraging people, um, uh, you know, teaching people. Now I went to teams and juniors, working with the kids, having to be very clear about what my instruction was because you know they always wanted to run around. You know, it's like herding cats, you know, just drive you mad. But you had to get good at it. And then moving into men, and then these guys, you know, they uh, men and women, sorry, who 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 came from working all day and were tired, and then educating them and 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 building an environment that they wanted to come to. Where and then when you you know when you're hurting them, you know them understanding. I know why that bugger's doing this to me. I know why he's doing it to me. You know, and 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 then getting it right, and then always having, um, uh, you know, uh, not only would you acknowledge and recognize what they did what they just did but now you're going to tell them where that takes them from here and how we're going to recover that so you know what 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 you said to me about grassroots and coming up that that's essential it's absolutely essential and and it's a really big um tick on a cv that comes across my desk because it because it sort of helps me decide how much time i'm going to spend with them 
teaching them how to interact with my team. And, um, and I'm not saying that, um, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that people who don't have that um, can't come and do, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that it's a very helpful experience to have to expedite that, that process for you once you get there. Donnie, there are a range of opportunities out there for exercise science students. How do you think those students should approach volunteer work versus paid work? Yeah. Um, look, that that is the biggest question in the industry constantly is, you know, I want to, I want to, I want that job and I want to do this, but, uh, you know, I've got to be paid. So the reality is sport in Australia um, and in New Zealand, um, it, it literally, it honestly, it works like a permit pyramid and you have your your hierarchy and it is the way it is at the moment where the paid jobs are right at the top and then everybody works towards those jobs um, i do believe that it is getting better i do believe that sporting organizations are realizing that the amount of work and the amount of effort that is required to provide the services um, for an athlete to, to to work at that top level it, it, you know it, it's not going to come down to just two people always, right? It's going to come down to building bigger units. The, the unit that I described to you a minute ago where I have um, specialists and um, and we've budgeted for, for extra coaches to come in, um, that's what's happening across the board. Clubs and, and, and organizations are realizing, you know, you have to be, you have to have a bigger unit of um, performance people uh, and medical people, yeah. So... You know, when they're when you're approaching this type of work, for 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 a start, if you're going to volunteer somewhere, you know, what are you doing, and is it helping you pave your pathway? So, you know, if you want to go into a rugby club or you want to go into any club, um, and and volunteer your services, then what what you want to be doing is designing a process where you can get feedback, where you can get, um, you know, you can you can have tasks that are recognize acknowledge and signed off so that you can um have these things almost as a as as things that you put on your cv or 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 you learn to carry with you into the next position now volunteering is 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 the big one when do you get to the stage where it becomes a paid position or how do you encourage an organization to recognize that that is um an area where they might have to spend some money well it sounds a little bit, you know, easy for me to say this, but that's that's where that's when it comes to the day where you know you're 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 missed, you're missed at working. If you've had to reduce some area or you're doing something, um, the the organisation starts to realise you have now become you know an important part of this process, and everybody knows because you're a volunteer that you are looking to work in this area and. And people, I'm not saying that, it sounds a little bit like blackmailing, but it's not. You literally create a, uh, a process by, by where, where they will either place you somewhere or you will be headhunted and pinched from there or they will try their best to provide um, uh, something to, to help you stay there and then move into a, in, into a paid position. Um, volunteering is... You know, people don't volunteer, the world stops. That, that, it's as simple as that. But you've got to be a smart volunteer. If you're going somewhere and you're not happy with your volunteering, that's more about you than them. Some, some, you've missed something somewhere. You know, Make your program. Write your process. 
Show them what you're going to do. Have a goal and an outcome. Reach that goal and outcome. Keep everything nice and tidy and blocked so that you're not just there forever and you're not expected to be there forever. And you're not just going in there and you don't know what you're doing and you're just the volunteer. Because volunteers are essential people. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not turn-ups, you know. They, even our organisation now, we have a series of uh, volunteer positions um, where, and they actually do come in because they, they want to be part of us. And, and I can tell you now, if, if, if they ring up and say, I can't come in today, <laughs> we're, we're running around panicking, you know. So so my, my, my biggest piece of it, it, advice is, um, you know, volunteer work does lead to paid positions. Will it be in the organisation you're in? I don't know. But it certainly gives you a, a, an area where you can practice your skills, practice your scopes, practice um, delivering, and then it has an outcome. So you can show what that success is, but it also has learning outcomes and you can show where you you can document all of that and then move forward. I think um I think one of the really important perspectives to take into any volunteer opportunity is that there are more ways to earn than just being paid in cash. You can get paid in experience or you get paid in, in networks or you get paid in testimonials and recommendations. And just as you said, once you go in there and do the work, you've got something to show for yourself. Well, if you want to expand that as well, show what you're doing on LinkedIn. And then it's not just the people who are in the gym who are seeing what you're doing. It's, you know, a thousand people online who get to see what you're doing too. And that just creates, you know, more opportunities that build upon each other. So there's always something you can gain out of volunteering. And and, and my two big ones from what you just said were testimonials and network. And that led me to international work, uh, Japan rugby, um, uh, working with um, – um, the Reed family in professional tennis, um, where, where you know Todd Todd won the junior Wimbledon, and uh, and ice hockey. I travelled around the world with uh, Australian ice hockey, so they were from literally from testimonials and and the networks of of people who, you know, I I I, I haven't had to um, show a CV because the right people made the right phone calls, and then people rang me and said, listen, you know, so and so said you would be able to help us with this and blah, 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 and, and, and that's how that worked. I know it's not as easy as that now, um, but what you just said then, Ruben, is, is spot on. Um, exposure for people to know what you're doing and how you're doing it is, um, you know, it, it, it is another great way for you to present yourself on many different fronts. We're going to come full circle and end up back to where we started here. Um, but if you were a student right now and you, you're waiting around for someone to accept your application for an internship, what are the specific steps that you would take right now to work towards your dream job? Um, this is a little bit in Ruben's question before too, but one, one of the things when you're waiting for internships or when you're looking to volunteer somewhere or you're looking to get in the door is you've you got to know the organisation. Um, so treat when treat it as a job application so find out who are the people that you actually speak to you like yeah you know, sometimes i get lots of i get lots of emails with um you know that come to me from um from reception but they but they're for me and but not by name it's just you know dear sir um 
I, you know, I've been a long-term fan or I've done this or I've done that and I'd like to come and work with you and you're the best and blah, 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 yeah. And, and I'm not saying that those letters are bad, but what I'm saying is they don't say to me that you want to come here and learn. You, they're not saying to me anything other than you, you've just fired a whole lot of stuff out, you know. Be specific. Be, be, um, be direct in terms of finding out who do I address this to, um, who is it I speak to, and, um, and then you can comp- compile. When you're putting things together, giving as much information to me as possible is really helpful. You know, um, what, what is it? What area is it that, that you want to be in? Um, what days are you available? You know, most importantly, how long you want to stick around? Are you telling me you want to be here for five years and just run off my side? Or what, you know, what are you doing? You know? Choosing your language carefully. I would like to come and hang out with you. Great. What do you want to do? You want to get coffee? You want to, what, you know, um, I would like to shadow you. I don't want a shadow. I got a shadow. That my shadow annoys me. My own shadow annoys me. You know. So you've got this this really particular language about um, why you want to be there, what you propose you're going to do, how long you want to be there for, and what your outcome is. Now, if your outcome is because I want to stay there and work, then I'm just again, wow. You know, you're never going to go away. If you're going to stay here and work, it'll be because five, six weeks, four weeks. I'll tell you right now, here in the club, since I've been here, we've been back, Des and I have been back here um, for two seasons. So with the interns that were here in sports science last year, um, uh, we had one. So they, they got full-time positions. So, you know, that's how it works because – when it came to moving forward and we were looking at the evolution of our process, I said, oh, I can't do it without him. He built that. So someone find a budget because he's not going anywhere. You know? And then I find out the roosters or someone are interested because of what he built. Well, I don't know, give him his own car spot, but we've got to keep him here, you know, whatever it is. So, so you know, the thing is, is that, that it's about being very clear. So if I'm waiting for an internship, if I'm waiting and something's holding it up, I've got to think to myself, what is it that's holding this process up? So I've missed something somewhere. Go through it. Make the phone call, you know, but but have a dialogue prepared to go when you make that phone call. Don't just ring up and say, oh, look, I'm just wondering about this and I'm doing this because it's not that we're busy. We're tired. We want to have a cup of coffee. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not in a meeting. I'm just knackered. I want to sit down. The last thing I want to do is sort your life out. You sort your life out. Then you call me when it's sorted out and you tell me your plan. And then I'll tell you whether your plan fits in with my plan. But if your plan is for me to plan for you, you stick your plan up your ass because I ain't got time for that. (laughs) I don't want a shadow. I don't want someone staring at me while I'm eating my lunch. I want you to come in and make my life easier. If you can do that, if you can explain that to me and show that to me, then you're probably going to be welcome. There's a fantastic way to put it, and there was, there was a series of steps that you that you mapped out, which I think is a almost a perfect template if if someone was to to write them down and and uh, you know think about composing an email to anybody. But I think what you said is perfect. Like if you can make yourself invaluable and irreplaceable, it's going to be hard pressed for someone to you know ask you to finish up at the end of an internship. You got to remember too, you know. Uh, and, and, and there are people out, out there and, and working in other clubs right now who testify to this. If I can't use you and you're good, then I will, I will 
um, find you a place in another club because we all know each other. We all work together, yeah. So when that intern name comes across, if I can see that they've been moving around a bit, you know, you know, he takes one quick phone call or someone will ring me and say, hey, you know, has Ruben called you? Yeah, torture, torture. <laughs> Brings his mate Ryan. They come in. They carry these freaking microphones around all day, walking through your gym. Yeah, that nah, eat it. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> the thing is, is that you know, um, that that's what you want to do. Don't always, don't put your eggs all in one basket. You know, when I turned up to work for someone, I do the very best job I can for that person where I am right there on the spot, and I'm hoping that they're going to say, we really like you, Dyson's. We think you bring value to us. You lift this place. You bring dynamic energy, and, and you really know your shit, and we're happy to have you here. But we don't have a budget for you. But we do know someone who might. And and so, you know, I, I, I think you don't put your eggs in that one basket. You go out there, show your stuff, be that thing in the universe, and attract, 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 and and – you know, it's a. It sounds like a simple formula because it is. <laughs> Finally, Donny, you are quite active on LinkedIn, particularly with your videos around your experience and the advice that you offer. If you could only pick one of those videos that you've posted to go up on a big LED billboard in in the heart of Sydney for every student to see, which one of those videos would you choose and why? Yeah. Just quickly, Ruben, I, uh, I, I, have, I, haven't worked, I haven't been on LinkedIn or Facebook um, since November. I, I, I lost a player here, and it was a really tragic, uh, heavy, hard time for me. You know, I, I, uh, Not for me, for, for, for everybody, but I found it really difficult to, uh, to engage. And, and quite respectfully, I moved out of the LinkedIn system just so that I, um, I, I could have that time. Um, but I, I literally just started back today. Um, making comments and coming back, I've, I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to to manage that 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 process of grief that, um, um, you know, that that a lot of us uh, a lot of us suffered with um, Keith's passing, and so the answer to your question is, you know, I, I am coming back to LinkedIn, and and, um, and Keith always enjoyed the fact that I was such a forward and cheeky sort of uh, person, so I'll, I'll do it for him, but uh, but I, but I am going to uh, come back in. The one I can remember the best was um, was one where I literally started off with, um, don't get the shits with the industry. Be the shit. <laughs> and and that one was literally me saying, don't walk around going, yeah, I can't get a job. I don't know anyone. Yeah, no one will hire me. Oh, it's a closed shop. Oh, it's, a, it's a boys' club. It's a girls' club. Everyone knows each other. And nobody wants to know me. Now you got to get rid of that attitude, you know, because the truth is it is a boys' club. It is a club. You know what? It's, it's a club of people who know each other, who are proven in the industry. That's what that club is. It's people offering jobs and positions to people that they know and trust because they have historical evidence of what they've achieved and done. And you, my friend, you can join that club. You're welcome to join that club. All you got to do is go through the steps that 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 Ruben put in that first um, um, post that I saw, listen to the advice or any of the advice that I've made, listen to the advice that Ryan's made, listen to the different um, pieces of advice around uh, other heads of performance or even other trainers, you know, who are working in the industry and just um, and just get a process and make it happen. But that club, you know, most importantly, 
that club is not closed. That club grows every single day all around the world. You just got to get in there. You just got to get in there. I love that. It is a club, but you're welcome to join at any time. Yeah. Love Pay it. your membership to me. I'll send you the address and the uh, and the account number. <laughs> I'll put it on LinkedIn tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Donnie, we may leave it there. I I must say, this has been one of the funnest episodes I've ever had. I reckon probably the most I've laughed, and I think Reuben as well can probably agree with me there. But all your assistance and advice and, and, and knowledge that you've brought to the episode has been absolutely awesome. And I'm sure. There are many students out there who can take a lot of leaves from your book. Um, So it's been absolutely awesome to speak to you. So thanks again. Look, thank you very much. And and if I could just a quick footnote for me is um, there's nothing there's nothing that I achieved or in my career um, which which I didn't have a a really solid um, group of of support people around me. Starting with my wife and family, of course. But but you know everything that I have had the pleasure of of being a part of, you know, I contributed to, you know, um, to a team and, and, and people contributed and helped me you know, get success. So it is all about teams. All right, Rubes. Well, I reckon my, my jaw's sore because I, I've just haven't stopped laughing for the past hour. But um, that was absolutely awesome just to really hear some insights from inside the Manly Sea Eagles and, and New Zealand national team um, from from Donnie, who, who's been in the sports science industry for 25 years, which, yeah, I found fascinating, really. Yeah, it was incredible chat. And, uh, you know, if I'm a student, I'm listening to Donnie. First thing that I'm doing is I'm writing down what Donnie repeated probably five, ten minutes ago around his steps to a cold email approach. He said he gets spammed all the time with people saying, you know, this is my life plan. Can I come and work for you? But as he said, you've got to show him how your plan fits in with his plan. So if you're not solving a problem for him, if you're not making life easier, if you're not saving him time, then you're just annoying him and his inbox. So get those steps down that Donnie um, laid out very cleanly um, and use them for your next approach if you're looking for an internship. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome to hear those steps at the end there, wasn't it? Um Something I, I took away and, and everyone should as, as well is, is really establishing how you can solve the organization's problems. So w- when you're going for a role, um, you know, why should they have you? H- how are you going to solve their issue and, and sell to them why they need your skills? Um, he, he said, he, you know, he doesn't want to have someone come along and ask them for a job, like be proactive and, and say to them, this is how I'm going to help you. And this is how I'm going to help you get to where you want to get to, uh, which I thought was a, a great mindset to take in any in any job or internship or whatever you're doing. Um, really get proactive with that. Yeah, definitely. And the last thing that I'm taking out of this as well is learning to be a coach. I think Donnie laid out very nicely that that uh, universities do a great job of teaching you all the the skills and the science that you need to to fundamentally understand but they don't teach you too well how to be a coach, you know, and that is, you know, how you communicate, how you understand people. And so if you're thinking of just going through university and finding a job out the other end of it, 
um, I'd consider finding any way that you can to work with people and just dive headfirst into it. You're going to uncover a lot of crap dealing with a lot of people, but it's all part of it and all how, all about how you learn. So even if that is simply coaching your brother or your sister or, or a friend, just getting time working with people is going to be essential for you making your mark on the sports industry. Absolutely, Rubes. Well, there's some great takeaways there. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends or your classmates who also have to figure out all of this sports career stuff. As you can see, this podcast is practically a masterclass and it's free. And you and your circles deserve to have it. So please share it far and wide. Finally, when you're ready to make sense of tackling jobs in sport, go check out the Sports Grade Method. This is an ebook I wrote based on eight years of trying to get into the sports industry and teaching others how to do it too. All of that is condensed down into a proven process to getting jobs in sport. If you're like me and enjoy things broken out into logical steps, then I think you're going to enjoy it. To get a hold of that, download it from www.sportsgrad.com.au. Thanks again for listening. Chat to you soon.